Association. It's the 15th of September 2022. It's a Thursday, just coming up to noon, my time. And I think what I'm going to do is have a look on BitChute for some news clips. Just to see what's what's on there. And I've had a, a meeting at the job centre this morning, which went reasonably well, I thought. I was reasonably articulate. And it was just a report, really, about... Uh, the uh, Phoenix recruitment day yesterday. So it was reasonably uh, okay, I thought. What would what the world would look like if everyone knew viruses don't didn't exist. The virus delusion. Let's try that. That's part two, though. So I'll need to find part one, really, don't I? Let's try the channel. It's 50 minutes as well, so it's a little bit long, but... Actually, that one's... A, there's 51 minutes. Is part one here. Right, it's a lot of extreme language and talk of Pizzagate on this channel, so I'm not sure it's going to be appropriate really to play stuff from this channel. Right, I'm I'm going to play the virus delusion because that's Tom Cowan, and I like Tom Cowan. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I might I might turn it off halfway through, which would be twenty five minutes in. We'll see. Okay, welcome everybody. Today is uh, Wednesday, September 14th, 2022, and welcome again to another Wednesday webinar. Um, hope everybody can hear me. And just uh, the announcements, there will not be a webinar on Friday. And next Wednesdays, I'm going to talk once again about heart attacks and maybe update that a little bit. Um, I think that's all the announcements. Uh, let me just start with a quote, which I think is uh, very apropos to what I'm going to be talking about today. And this is a, allegedly from Thomas Paine from the American Revolution days. To argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. Uh, very true. So we do a lot of around here. Um, so uh, the other thing is I was going to comment on the title, uh, which uh, I think is probably my fault that the title got uh, put like this. Title is something like, what would it be like in a world without viruses? Uh, the problem with the title is we already live in a world without vi viruses. So a world without viruses would probably look very similar to the world we currently live in. So the correct title should be, what would the world be like if we lived in a world where we didn't believe in such uh, things called viruses? or if people knew there were not such things called viruses. 
again, we already live in a world where there aren't viruses, so that would be no different. The problem is we don't know that, and we believe we live in a world where there are viruses. Uh, before I get into that, uh, I just wanted to clear up a few things that were a little bit uh, outstanding. One was uh, a few weeks ago, I believe, uh, I think it's two, maybe one, maybe three, can't remember exactly. Uh, I put out a response to a guy named Dr. Fleming, who put out a his own video saying that this electron microscope picture proved the existence of the virus, uh, which is a shocking and I would say uninformed statement because nobody really believes that. Going back to the days of Montagne saying on camera, uh, you, it's absolutely clear that you cannot prove the existence of a virus through electron microscope pictures. And then I uh, did a little segment on that where I uh, presented uh, articles, quotes from articles saying there is no way you can tell the existence of, you can prove the existence of the virus through electron microscope pictures. And not only that, most of the pictures that we're calling SARS-CoV-2 in the literature are actually not SARS-CoV-2. They are simply cellular debris breakdown products that are stained or transmission electron microscope pictures. And there is no evidence that they uh, are an independent virus. And then I showed a series of 11 slides that uh, nobody can actually tell whether they're SARS-CoV-2 or just breakdown of the kidney cell or lung cancer tissue. So in my final statement about that was, at that point, Dr. Fleming had one of two choices, which would be acceptable to anybody who uses reason, like Thomas Paine said. One would be to prove with the literature, with pictures, that I am incorrect. I'd be happy to look at that and show that you can, in fact, uh, prove the existence of this virus solely through electron microscopy pictures, as he suggested. Uh, there is no possible way that could be done. And as far as I know, it, he hasn't responded in any way to that. He hasn't taken up the challenge. He hasn't shown the evidence that one could do that. Uh, and so the other option he has is to simply admit he was incorrect, which would be the uh, responsible and rational thing to do. And as far as I know, he hasn't done that either. I could be wrong and I could have missed it. And if somebody would send it to me, I'd like to see it. So those are the choices. And one of the things I pointed out is when you get into these kind of issues and, quote, debates, one of the things that typically happens is then you move on to the next subject or the next piece of information without settling the first one. And so then you end up with six bits of nonsense, which supposedly make the thing make sense. So we're not going to do that here. We're going to clear this one up first, do electron microscopy pictures, prove the existence of the virus. I gave clear evidence to say they don't. He can give clear evidence to say they do or admit he was wrong, and then we can move on to the next subject. Absent that, there's no partner in this conversation. Uh, I just want to say, even though I'm now going to sort of break that, uh, when somebody says the challenge is to have me or somebody else sit in a room with a pure vial of smallpox virus, what that person is actually saying in reality is they don't know how you come up with a vial of, quote, smallpox virus because there is no vial of pure smallpox virus. There is no vial of pure HIV virus, HIV, sorry. There is no vial of pure measles virus, pure SARS-CoV-2, pure Ebola, pure 
monkey kidney, monkey pox virus, pure Spanish flu virus, because the way they create those vials is to take unpurified material, either from a previous cell culture or from somebody's snot, inoculate that along with genomycin, streptomycin sometimes, amphotericin, penicillin, fetal bovine serum sucked out of the heart of a unborn calf, usually some other chemicals, monkey kidney cells, and that's what's in that vial. Now, there, that is not by any stretch of imagination a pure vial of smallpox. That is pure nonsense. And by the way, if anybody says, I, I challenge you to be injected with a pure sample of any virus, you can always say yes, because such a thing simply doesn't e exist. Now, they will have a lot of excuses. Well, you can't keep a virus viable if you don't put it in monk in fetal bovine serum and cells and kill the anti kill the bacteria and kill the fungus. And so then you can't do the experiment. The only way you could do the experiment is to remove the virus and see uh, what happens when you inject or squirt that crap up people's nose, the amphotericin and genomycin, et cetera, and see what happens to them. Because when we did that, we found out that it kills the cells just the same as with the imaginary virus in it. So I am not in the habit of squirting genomycin, amphotericin, uh, broken down monkey kidney cells, fetal bovine serum, and trypsin up my nose. I'm not interested in doing that. And the scary thing about this is he doesn't know what's in that vial. That is the scary thing, my friends. So the, one of the leading voices for health freedom and in an issue concerning viruses, actually until now has no idea what is actually in that vial. And that is the truly scary thing about this whole scenario. Now, let me move on then to the next scary scenario, which is this came out of an article published this week. I think it was on Mercola's site originally, and then it was picked up by Children's Health Defense. And so here's, oh, didn't come out quite the way it should have. Anyways, here's the article that I'm referring to, Fauci's team involved in research to create a deadly version of the Spanish flu virus. And so it goes on, uh, the story at a glance is they're trying to make a deadly Spanish flu virus just like they made a deadly SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, then they go on to reference the, uh, the interview that Kennedy did with Jeffrey Sachs, who I've spoken about before, and they also referenced a dossier that was about to come out by attorney Tom Rents that was supposedly going to prove that SARS-CoV-2 is a lab-engineered created virus. So let me just say a few words about that. Uh, first of all, uh, I hope in the next week or so, uh, our friend Mark Bailey and I are going to look at this particular paper or article and the papers it was based on in some detail because Mark has actually taken a very in-depth look at this subject. So I'm going to let him explain in more detail what he found and the fact that there is no evidence of a lab-created engineered virus from anywhere in the world called SARS-CoV-2. Uh, so that's what we're going to explain in depth. But before I do that, before we do that, uh, let me just, again, put out a challenge. And this challenge is to uh, Mercola and Kennedy and Sachs and uh, Rents and anybody else, uh, David Martin, who, who is going around saying 
there is a lab-created, uh, engineered virus circulating or spreading or present in the world, making everybody sick. Now, from my understanding, at least with SARS-CoV-2, they are saying that this genetic, this lab-created virus is a mixture of some of the genome of HIV and previous coronaviruses. I must admit, I haven't looked into this in great depth, but that is my understanding. In other words, it's a mixture of some of the genetic material of HIV and the genetic material of previous coronaviruses. So here is my challenge to those who espouse this particular theory. Uh, and I'm going to use an example to demonstrate my point. If you are claiming that this uh, new SARS-CoV-2 is a chimeric virus made from a mixture of HIV or any other virus and SARS-CoV-2 or any other virus, obviously the first thing you have to prove is the existence of HIV and the previous coronavirus. Uh, here's an example of what I mean by that. I looked it up and I actually have it on Wikipedia, so it must be true. The definition of a mule. A mule is a domestic equine hybrid between a donkey and a horse. It is the offspring of a male donkey, a jack, and a female horse, a mare. Horse and the donkey are different species with different number of chromosomes. Of the two possible first-generation hybrids, a mule is easier to obtain and more common than the hinny, which I never heard of, which is an offspring of a female donkey and a male horse. And they vary in size and may be of any color. More patient, hardier, long-lived than horses and perceived as less obstinate and more intelligent than donkeys. So here we have a theory that there is this new being, this new species or new organism, let's, that's a better word, new organism called a mule, and it's, a, it's made by a cross between a donkey and a horse. And then we've analyzed the mule and see what it does, and I'm actually thinking maybe of getting one after, uh, the, after I read this, so we know what they're sort of like and color, et cetera. So our first question has to be, is there evidence that there is such a thing called a horse? That's the first thing you have to prove. Uh, most of us have seen horses. So there's a picture. This could be a computer-generated picture, but I don't think so. This is supposedly a group of wild horses galloping in Utah, uh, United States. First condition that has to be met, prove that HIV exists. Here they prove that wild horses exist. Second condition. Whoops. Prove that donkeys exist. Here you go. This is a couple donkeys outside in spring. We've all seen donkeys. Nobody has any questions whether donkeys exist. So second condition. First to Kennedy, Mercola, Rents. Uh, there was somebody else. Can't remember. Uh, please prove the existence of HIV. Please prove the existence of the previous coronaviruses it was hybridized with. And then, obviously, you have to show me the existence and prove the existence of a mule. Uh, here it is. Whoops. It's a Moscow mule. Sorry, that's the wrong mule. That's the Russians again. So never mind. Uh, that's not the mule I was talking about. How about this? Here's a pack of mules carrying stuff. We've all seen mules. They do look sort of like a cross 
between a horse and a donkey. And we've all seen them. And if you haven't seen them, you can go see them. You can find out what they do. They're apparently amazing animals that can carry all sorts of things. So third thing you have to do if you want to show that this is a lab-created virus, uh, number one, you have to show the existence of HIV. By the way, before you, while you do that, I would suggest you take a look at this article. It's called HIV, a virus like no other from the Perth Group, posted online July 12, 2007. Uh, there you can find the link where they go through in great detail showing that there is no evidence for the existence of HIV. So please read through this so you can comment on these things and you can show me and everybody else that you have proven that HIV is a real organism and exists. Otherwise, how could it possibly have been a cross crossed in order to make SARS-CoV-2? Then you have to show me that the previous coronaviruses exist. Then obviously, like the mule, you have to show us the evidence that SARS-CoV-2 exists uh, and is the, quote, organism that we think it is. If you can't do that, uh, then you have no evidence that there is a lab-created virus because you have no evidence that the two sources that were used in this creation actually exist, nor has this lab-created virus ever been found in any human subject anywhere on the planet. We already know that. We've been through that. And so how could it possibly be the creation of two things that don't exist? Um, by the way, you should also, in this process, uh, it, show the sequence of HIV, the sequence of the coronavirus that was used, and show how they proved that that sequence of genome came from that virus, which they can't, either one, or that the genome of SARS-CoV-2 came from that particle, that organism, which you can't, and then show us how they moved the piece of the genome from HIV into the original coronavirus to come up with the scary new SARS-CoV-2, which was unleashed on the world so that everybody can be sick and scared. Once you do that, I will admit that I was incorrect and there is a lab-created virus. If, however, as I suspect, none of you are able to do that, I would appreciate if you would please publicly admit that you were incorrect, that you have no evidence that this virus exists, and so it can't possibly be lab-created and therefore unleashed on the world. That will be the next step in this conversation. Now, why does this matter? Uh, first of all, this is another kind of fear-mongering. So obviously, if there's a lab-created virus that's meant to kill us all, uh, that gives fuel for the at least the possibility that all the masks and the distancing and the injections may have some utility. If we understand clearly that none of these things exist, then all of those questions are out the window. The other reason is, what we are engaged in here is a massive attempt, especially by the lawyers involved here, to prosecute this case so that we can somehow put the people in jail or cut their heads off or whatever they plan on doing, I hope they don't do that, um, of the people who perpetrated this crime. We hear a lot about that. Now, this is not to say that people aren't funding research into how to make biotoxins and weapons out of poisons and that this should stop and possibly they should even be prosecuted. 
But I would just caution that this this focus on legal remedies and identifying individuals as the culprits, my prediction is it will get nowhere. In fact, this reminds me of the gambit that Trump used when he was running the first time for election. And at practically every rally, you heard the cry, lock her up, lock her up. And there was clear suggestion that if Trump got elected because of the evident uh, crimes that were done by the Clintons, and particularly Hillary Clinton, she was going to be tried and prosecuted and locked up. That was essentially one of his main selling points. You heard it at every single rally. Turns out he does apparently get elected, or at least they said he did. He becomes president, and I think it was a day or so after that, he was asked about locking her up, and he said, ah, never mind. Uh, we don't want to be divisive here. We want to unite the country, and so never mind. We're not doing that. In other words, everybody got played like suckers. And that's what I fear is happening here. So even though I'm not very good at predictions, my prediction as to what will happen with this whole engineered virus, uh, I call it the patsy in this situation, something to give the, uh, quote, freedom community something to get all excited about and say, yes, there's the villain. First of all, my prediction is it will never be heard in any official court. Now, that could be wrong, and they do hear it. And my second prediction is if it does get heard, it will draw, drag on endlessly with no resolution. And if I'm wrong about that, which I could be, my next prediction is it will lose. And all we'll have gotten out of this is no help for anybody and a bottomless pit of legal fees, wasting time, and nothing creative or productive will be accomplished. And once you get rid of one person, then the next often worse or just as bad person comes in. This is a problem of the system, not the individual people. This focus on getting rid of Fauci or Gabardine or Biden or Trump is completely a, a, a smokescreen, a waste of time, because it's the system we're dealing with. And if it's not that person, it will be somebody else. And I predicted exactly this around getting rid of Andrew Cuomo, who obviously needed to get, be gotten rid of for a whole lot of reasons. But I actually thought we should keep him because he was losing so much credibility that he was essentially undermining the whole lock them down uh, movement. And instead, we get somebody else who does exactly the same things, but is not such an onerous character. So people tend to go along with that. Uh, whereas for me, an onerous character in that role is the best thing that can happen so it becomes clear to everybody that there is no reason to listen to these people. It's the system that needs to be changed, not the individuals. I could care less about Fauci. It's the system he's working in. If there's not that guy, there'll be just some other guy. Now, so just to summarize that, um, I don't, do not believe there is an engineered virus. The reason is, is if you do the rational, scientific, logical steps, first you have to prove the existence of the two, quote, entities that, that were hybridized or chimericalized in order to make this new entity. And as far as I've been able to find, there is no evidence they exist. It then becomes the responsibility to engage in this process for those who say this is the case, to prove the existence of the donkey and the horse, 
that's HIV and previous coronavirus, and then prove the existence of the mule, that's SARS-CoV-2, show that the genome that we're ascribing to HIV came from HIV, and the genome from SARS or the previous coronavirus came from that, and then how they were hybridized, how it was unleashed into the world, and that there is something called SARS-CoV-2, and the new genome actually comes from that organism. Absent that, then you have no evidence for what you are saying. It is misleading people and wasting their time and blaming the patsy. And so I would expect, as everybody else would, that you would admit that you were wrong. And if there's no response, which is what usually happens, that is a tacit admission that you have no evidence that this is actually what happened. So, hopefully that's clear. That is the next step in this conversation. Now, I was thinking about uh, what more can we describe about a world where we know there are no viruses, no pathogenic viruses, where not a world where there aren't viruses, that's already the world, but we all know this. Nobody believes there are vi pathogenic viruses out there to make us sick. I was actually just sent uh, by a listener an example that I think demonstrates this point exactly well. And this was somebody sent article or so, some information about somebody who I knew a little bit. His name was David Gershon. He was an anthroposophical doctor in San Francisco. And he had recently, the last few months or so, uh, passed away. He was found dead in his bed soon after his booster shot of these uh, COVID vaccines. So the interesting thing about this story is when I moved to San Francisco 19 or so years ago and was still at that point peripherally involved with the anthroposophical medical movement, but distancing myself more and more for a number of reasons. Uh, I had a meeting with him and we talked a little bit about what each of us was doing. And basically his job was working in a community health center, uh, giving HIV drugs to HIV patients, he said. And I pointed out to him, even though I would admit I didn't know anywhere near what I know now about it, but David, there is no HIV, and HIV has nothing to do with AIDS. And he said, oh, well, that's not true. Everybody believes that. Of course, we know that's true. And as far as I remember, that was the end of the conversation. I didn't press it, uh, but and he never asked about it. and apparently never looked into it, even though he had obviously heard that from a colleague. Uh, at that point, I didn't have much to do with them because I, at that point, like I have a probably a bad tendency, I f see people who, uh, to me, are not open-minded and able to explore reality, especially if they're medical doctors, and I pretty much dropped the conversation. So I had very little to do with him after that, and he became uh, a supporter of the whole uh, SARS-CoV-2 myth to the point like the vast majority of his fellow anthroposophical doctors, including the leadership of the anthroposophical medical section, who is 100% in lockstep with the germ theory, with the viral causation of so-called COVID and all that entails, including being willing to submit to these injections, including the boosters, which even though they didn't do an autopsy, so there's no way to be sure of this, uh, from what I hear, probably was the cause of his death. So you could say 
and this is the point of this, the actual cause of his death was simply believing in viruses as pathogenic entities. That's it. If he didn't believe that, he never would have done the injections, and he probably wouldn't have died in his sleep from whatever he died of. Uh, so that's what I mean by how you think and what you believe will directly impact your actions. And your actions have consequences. So the chain of events was what he believed without any evidence, I would point out, was that HIV was the cause of AIDS. So he spent his career giving people toxic drugs to stop the HIV from killing the people who allegedly had AIDS. Then, because he was such a deep believer in this uh, theory that pathogenic viruses cause disease, and in particular, one was the cause of this supposed illness called COVID, he was therefore willing to take the action of injecting him with a group of unknown toxins, I would say at this point, even though we have some idea now what's in there and it doesn't look very good, but even what knowing that he doesn't know what's in there, believing the people who say they told him what's in there, and that had the consequence, that action of causing his premature demise, even though apparently he was re relatively, if not perfectly healthy before these series of injections. So that is the world that is created simply by the believing in pathogenic viruses. So obviously, a world where we don't believe this, uh, there would be millions and millions of fewer tragic deaths like this one, and millions and millions and maybe hundreds of millions and maybe billions of people who are less sick than they are currently because all of us have been injected with poisons under the misconception, the bogus theory that pathogenic viruses exist and cause disease. So we would suddenly wake up to a world that is much healthier, much happier, spends almost nothing on healthcare. Uh, there's no need for pharmaceutical companies. We don't need to prove how corrupt they are. Uh, we already know that. We don't need more books written about that. People know that. And anyways, if there's no pathogenic viruses and all the other so-called scientific myths around cancer and genetics and all that and uh, asthma and the, all the reason these things come about largely because of being injected and subjected to poisons and not being not understanding where real biology is as I described last time. Just to point out that the doctors in the last century, uh, many of them in writing and publicly said, we never had any problem with cancer until the introduction of the smallpox vaccine. The more vaccines were introduced, the more cancer became prevalent and common feature of our society. So we're talking about a world where if nobody believes in pathogenic viruses, nobody would consider injecting themselves with toxic cell cultures with all kinds of other poisonous stuff in it. Nobody. Therefore, we end up with a much healthier population. And that should be reason enough. None of these lawsuits need to happen. No arguments about VAERS and social distancing and study after study and billions of dollars of vaccine research. None of that is necessary once we all realize that it's simply built on a house of cards. But that's not the only thing that happens once we understand that this uh, 
world we live in does not contain pathogenic viruses. So we talk about something like school. We've all seen that in the last two years, almost every single school, I'm talking public and private, has somehow mandated or, or suggested strongly that all the children uh, need to be vaccinated in order to come to their school with a variety of vaccines under the guise of supposedly following the guidelines either of the CDC or their state rules. And in addition to that, they have uh, various ways you could put it, either coerced or mandated, or I would even use the word allowed the children who go to their school, even as young as preschool and kindergarten, to wear masks which interfere with social functioning, they interfere with breathing, they contain themselves toxic products, and they interfere with everything that a child needs in order to grow up to be a healthy, happy, and, you know, a healthy and happy child, period. So I would say, as I've said before, I would not send my child or go to a school that even allows children to wear masks, let alone mandates them, let alone gives them the option. No child who comes to my school is going to wear a mask, period. It is not good for them. In fact, I would go so far as to say, the only real reason, because nobody could possibly believe that it protects you against any kind of virus, nobody believes that. So the only reason to have a child wear a mask is to indoctrinate them that they need to submit to authority. They need to be part of this virus cult that has essentially permeated our entire culture. And if they will not submit, they will be cast out into the wilderness and ostracized from their friends and classmates and the world as we know it. All right, I'm going to stop there uh, just because it's we're 40 minutes in and I think 40 minutes is probably enough. You can find the, the video if you search for Dr. Tom Cowan at C-O-W-E. A-N, Alpha November, and what the world would look like if everyone knew viruses didn't exist. And that was part two. There's still another, well, it's another 20 minutes to go, but I'm just going to stop him at that point because I think that's probably enough. He's made the point. And uh, I tend to agree with what he's, what he's saying. He's working at a very, very high philosophical level. But ultimately, if you if you buy into viruses as cre as creating illness, you've you've then logically got to buy into the other things as well. So, if you reverse out of that, the place you get to is if viruses don't exist, then they can't cause illness, and then none of the other things that follow from that exist either. They don't. They're not necessary. So he's working at a very, very high level philosophically, and I like what he's doing. I'm still not 100% with it. I still think there's something going on. I don't know. It's obviously we might have to redefine the word virus to actually accurately reflect what's going on because virus just means toxin. It just means poison. So... Yet yeah, there is some kind of poison going on, but the po that poison is the belief that there's, that's some, there's some kind of poison going on. So it's a bit of a circular argument. So to me, it looks like there's something going on, but it looks like some, there's something going on because I'm not 100% with what Tom Cowan says about viruses yet. 
but I'm getting there and I'm about 80%, 85%, maybe 90% with him. I'm just not quite 100% there yet. Because I'm seeing, I, I see the effects of the belief of the belief system or the effects of whatever it is that's going on in the people that believe in viruses. And there's definitely an effect there, but if it's coming from the belief system. It's not coming from a physical thing. I mean, they, the physical effect comes from the behavior and the subterfuge that could be going on with other people's behavior. <clears throat> and, and then you, you wrap yourself around in, in circles. You wrap, tie yourself up in knots. So I'm... I'm getting there slowly. I hope it was useful just to play that so that other people can get there. Um, hi, Abigail, I'm about to close the show down now. You've got in just as I'm closing up. Oh, here's somebody else coming in. So maybe I can find something else as, a, as there are people arriving now. I'll see if I can find something else here. I've got more Tom Cowan. Uh, I'll play the rest of it. I'll play the the next the last twenty minutes of it. Institution, school, or any other type of institution that fosters that kind of thinking. That is why you wear a mask to show that you are a member of this dominant cult. Now. You could say, well, but my child likes going to the school. His friends are at the school, or he learns certain things. I can tell you that the main thing that this child will learn who is allowed to wear a mask is how to submit to authority. Now, it's true. They may learn some arithmetic. They may learn some handwork. They may learn some woodworking. They may learn some movement. And I have nothing against learning arithmetic, handwork, movement, woodworking, etc. In fact, some of those things, I would even suggest that most children should learn those things and should be exposed to those things. But that is not the dominant thing they were learning. They are learning how to submit. So this means that the world that I'm talking about as difficult as that may be for many of us, many of you, because I don't have children, is you've got to create your own situation so that your children can be exposed to arithmetic. They can have time with their friends. They can have time in the woods. They can learn handwork and sewing and how to build crates and boxes and birdhouses, and then their house. They can learn how to speak languages. They can learn arithmetic. They can learn reading. It's not that hard. It takes effort and courage and insight by the parents. And that is what a world without the belief in viruses will have to look like. Parents saying there is no way University students saying there is no way I am going to go to a school that mandates any of these things. How can you possibly think that you're going to learn anything of value from these people? Again, they may have some details. Those details, you can find somebody to teach you handwork. You can find somebody to teach you how to grow a garden. You can find somebody to teach you arithmetic in six weeks. You can figure out reading on your own. That's what parents and your community is meant to do. And we need to get on with this and let those schools and institutions wither on the vine. They are not set up to serve us. They are set up to indoctrinate people into a viral death cult which the new world that I'm talking about will have nothing to do with. So, and this goes for institutions, uh, websites, anything, anybody who's espousing this outdated, 
uh, erroneous misconception of a theory uh, without anger, without violence for sure. Just move on. Create your own groups, your own circle of friends, your own people. There's lots of people out there who can teach you handwork and spelling and arithmetic and woodwork. Let's create the world we all know will work for us. We don't have to fight about mass. We don't have to beg for the government. We don't have to do any of those things. Just create the world that we know we can, uh, that will be a more beautiful place for us to live. It's easy once you see that the uh, virus thing is the key to this. It's the key to unlock your thinking. Now, it's not the only one. I thought, well, what about money? Again, money is controlled by institutions that have decided that they will make the money and you have to work for the money. There's lots of books and other websites uh, that uh, go into this in great detail. I wrote about this even as far back as my heart book, where I suggested that this idea that our government that's supposedly looking out for our best interests, which is another uh, huge misconception, which would I would suggest everybody take a look at that. They have somehow outsourced the creation of the money to a group of private banks. So the banks make the money and you have to work for it. And I suggested that rather than that, we should let me make the money and we call it Cowan's. And that way, if I want to buy a house and you want to buy the same house, I can just make more money than you and I will always win. And if so, if you want to know why the banks always win, it's because whoever creates the money, they get everything. So we don't want to go along with that system at all. That system, again, a lot of people talk about this, but I just want to finish by saying uh, the key to understanding this is because there may not be any actually good way to create money. Maybe we don't need money at all. I don't know about that. But what I do know is there's a difference between money and wealth. And in this world that I'm talking about, what we need to create is wealth and not focus on money. Because right now the money is controlled by people and institutions which clearly have no interest in your well-being. And again, all you have to uh, do to realize that is understand that these institutions like the government and the World Health Organization, who are aligned with the World Bank and IMF and all that, they are the ones who believe in the virus nonsense and tyrannize the entire world population based on this bogus theory. So all you have to do is use that as your compass. You can figure out who really is interested in truth and freedom. So what is real wealth? Uh, I wrote four things. Number one, the soil is the source of the wealth of any community, any nation, any city, any state. If you have poor soil, you will have sick people, you will have sick plants, you will have sick animals. Anybody who does anything that doesn't promote the health of the soil is working against the best interest of the people and is working against the accumulation of wealth for the people. So in whatever place you're in, and hopefully more and more of you, will do like I did and find your own place. And the first thing you do in a world where nobody believes in viruses is to start building your soil because that is how you accumulate uh, riches and wealth in this world. The second thing is you try to uh, procure as much knowledge as you can about how the real, real world works. And again, I pointed out a lot of things 
everything from science and biology and medicine and cosmology and banking and money and insurance and everything else, try to find out how do these things actually work. You will be shocked and surprised at what you can find out and how much of what we believe is based not on, on reality, but simply wild flights of imagination. The third thing is cultivate the wealth in friendships and in people you can know and love in your community. Real friendships, not even the ones online. That may be a place to start and a place to meet people, but eventually you need to get into community with the actual living people in your neighborhood and community. That is a source of genuine wealth. And the final thing, which I, I clearly did not appreciate until this uh, last two years, is cultivate relationships with animals because they will teach you more about life and how life really works than probably anything else. So soil, knowledge, friendships, animals, and there's a whole lot of other things uh, to cultivate in this new world that we're talking about. Get rid of the institutions and the schools and the journalists and the websites that don't promote a new view of how the world will be in this coming day uh, when we all realize there's no such thing as pathogenic viruses. So I appreciate some of the feedback that I got this week. Apparently, a lot of people uh, were interested in what I had to say, and I'm looking forward to more feedback this week. And I'm particularly looking forward also to hearing the proof from Dr. Fleming that electron microscopy pictures prove the existence of a virus and the proof from uh, Sachs and Kennedy and Mercola and Rents that all of these things exist, the HIV, the SARS virus, the SARS-CoV-2, here's how they were mixed up and here's why we should all be uh, spending our precious life energy focused on that problem. Again, thanks for joining me, and I will see you next week. All right, that was Tom Cowan. Very, very good. Very thoughtful. He does a week, a weekly update, or some about an hour usually. That was fifty-one minutes. Um, and I've done about an hour, so I think I'm going to close things down at that point. I will be back later on for a music show. This, e this evening, late evening for me, 10 p.m. UK time, which is 5 p.m. East Coast time. I do a, a daily music show, Monday to Friday, and an occasional music show on Saturdays and Sundays if I'm in the right mood. And that's usually about this time, about breakfast time for the States, about 1 o'clock my time, half 12 sometimes. Depends how I feel, depends what I'm doing. Um, those aren't on the schedule, they'll just pop up, but the Monday to Friday is on the schedule. So you're welcome to join me for that. It's an eclectic mix of old school blues, um, experimental jazz, uh, soul, jazz funk, uh, some, some rock and metal, uh, some new wave stuff, some new romantic stuff, uh, 80s dance music, some disco. There's lots of stuff in there. I don't I don't limit myself to one particular genre. So you'll like some of it, you'll probably hate some of it, but that's the way it is. I'm not gonna limit myself with what I what what I play. I'm just follow, I'm following a vibe. And if that vibe takes me to experimental jazz, then that's what I play. If it takes me to, to disco, that's what I play. That's it. That's the way I work. So if you don't if you don't like hearing things that way, that's entirely up to you. But if you do like hearing things that way, then sign up, uh, subscribe 
to the podcast and you'll then you'll get notification of when the music shows are, are likely to start. I start about 10 or 15 minutes early usually just to get the tech set up and get warmed up. But uh, it's an hour show, as I said, at 5 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. UK time. All right, that's pretty much it. I'm going to close the room now. Well, thanks for coming in, guys. It's useful to have an audience for these things. It's always helpful to have an audience. So I appreciate your company, and I'll see you. I'll probably see you tomorrow for another clip show and this evening for the music show.